Good afternoon. Welcome to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Uh, it's going to be an abbreviated afternoon for us, sort of. In a manner of speaking, yes. We'll still be around, but we're going to divide and conquer after the budget rolls out. You're going to be at Boston Pizza downtown. I am indeed. Going to have a little bit of a listener panel, get reaction to the budget as it comes down and the details are shared with the public as to what this budget has in store in terms of uh, may they be job cuts, may they, may they be tax increases, service cuts, who knows what's going to come this afternoon. We want to be on standby and have as much varied reaction as possible. Yeah, they've uh, Essentially, they've tasked Mackling and McGarry with bringing the budget down to the street level. So Greg is going to have a chat about it. So we all would like to refer to this show sitting around the kitchen table. Well, Greg will be sitting around the the dining room table, so to speak, at Boston Pizza, while I will have been I've been tasked with putting together some features that kind of put it into my own unique terms. You may have heard my entertainment pieces in the afternoon, so that's what I will be doing with the budget. So I'm excited about that because well, you'll hear it this afternoon. That's all we'll say. I know you've been preparing, trying to have in your arsenal of clips, a variety of different reactions from cult, pop culture, movies, and television shows past. So I'm I'm looking forward to listening as much as I am to being participating in this afternoon's festivities and the and the presentation of this budget. We will be live streaming as well at 680 CGOB's website, cgob.com. So uh, if you want to be on top of everything that's coming down, all the different aspects of this provincial budget, Richard Cloutier has called it a generational, a pivotal budget in the history of our province. So we will see how much of that comes to fruition. Keep it locked here, and we will have it for you live local first on 680 CGOB. Did you know that it's... National 8-Track Day? Really, why shouldn't the possibly worst method of listening to music in history get its own day? Why shouldn't this device, known by the familiar clunk that signaled the changing of the songs or tracks, get its own celebration? The only thing sadder than an 8-track really was an 8-track player, and the only thing sadder than an 8-track player was a multi-8-track player. 8-track tapes, you couldn't record on them, you couldn't rewind them. Sometimes they stopped halfway through a song and you had to turn them over... Now, back to the thrift store with you, where you belong. Sherry Preston, ABC News. <laughs> they, were terrible. Terrible. they were terrible. The eight tracks were just... What were, when were those, approximately? Well, I would say the late 60s to mid-70s, they were fairly popular. Okay. Before cassette tapes completely overtook the earth. Do you, do you remember the Betamax? Oh, yeah. Right? Sony Betamax was the superior technology to VHS. Absolutely. But because of the marketing, for whatever reason... Sony Betamax, and you would have thought, Sony, ah, hello, they were a, a marketing behemoth for decades, couldn't figure out how to get the Betamax in the public domain as easily as those that were marketing VHS because it was proprietary, right? So only Sony was going to sell the Betamax. There you go. And as opposed to sharing the idea with multiple manufacturers, they thought that they could take them all on, and well, the rest is history. I remember going to the movie store. And being sad because the VHS section always had more stuff than the than beta. The beta. <laughs> but then that's not to say the beta had poor selection, but I remember looking at this wall thinking, oh, but I want to get that. So eventually we ended up with a VHS player. But the, just not to get sidetracked, today is National 8-Track Day in the U.S., but that's actually leading into the fact that it is also National 
pet day. And I was walking on Wellington Crescent this morning on my way to work. Finally got back out to walk to work after about a month off of doing that. I got lazy. And this woman was walking her dog. I want to say it was like a like a big sort of golden retriever looking dog. And it just sort of was walking along the, cra- the grass and started rolling around, just rolling back and forth. And I couldn't help but laugh. I was just smiling and laughing. And as, as I walked by this woman and her dog who looked so happy, and she looked up at me and saw me smiling, so she smiled <clears throat> because I like dogs. And if you have a dog or if you have a cat or if you have some sort of pet, we would love to hear from you because not everybody who has a pet has a dog or a cat. How about some of the strange pets, strange people with pets that you've seen wandering around? You were mentioning the shirtless guy who walks around, is it downtown Winnipeg with an iguana? This was 10 years ago now. When I used to work downtown, I would see this guy all the time in the summer. He would walk around, usually wearing cut-off jean shorts. He'd be shirtless, and he would, he was, I believe his head was shaved, and he would have an iguana, typically either on his shoulder or his head. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just walking up and down Portage. It wasn't scary. He was just wa- enjoying the sunshine with his beloved pet. Well, you, you see that in Mexico quite a bit, and then they want to charge you a few bucks to have your picture taken, whether it's uh, with a big python snake or an iguana. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in having my picture taken with either of those things, but <laughs> I digress. Uh, but I don't get the love affair with the reptiles. Do they? Do you actually get anything from having a relationship with these reptiles? I can't comment either way because I have no idea how affectionate these animals are. I know that, for example, uh, rabbits are apparently quite affectionate. I know I know two people who have rabbits, and I've never actually been able to to handle them because they're always in their cage. But sometimes they say, "Well, we'll let the we'll let the rabbit out later on." When there's no one around, and apparently they like to cuddle. I don't know. How about this? How about these animals? Peekaboo, there you go. Here's another game, ready? Uh. Now when I touch her, it changes to... There you go. This is Joe the Birdman and Tika the now, Talking Tika Bird. Tika actually sings several songs. We're going to start with this song, Ready? Here we go, Tika. Uh, Sing it. Go. Hush. Come on. There's one more. <laughs> it reminds me of the time I was in Salmon Arm, BC, visiting my brother. It's about 20 years ago. I was in a park throwing the football around. And this woman comes along and she's walking, I kid you not, with a cockatiel. <laughs> She was walking the bird. Correct. She she had a <laughs> leash, and it was around the bird's little, you know, bird leg. And he was kind of hopping along, jumped up on the picnic table, and they were they were playing back and forth. And then all of a sudden, it started imitating other animals. And this cockatiel could meow like a cat, bark like a dog, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I was absolutely bo- blown away. And of course, I had an eight millimeter. Speaking of obsolete. Technology and eight one of those eight millimeter handycams back at my brother's place. Oh no! Otherwise, I'd have videotape of this this animal. It was absolutely incredible, and I don't know if I've seen anything quite as good or impressive since. This is like I say, over twenty years ago. Well, that reminds me of how and and I'm happy to play this because you're going to start hearing his voice around here again. In 2012, I believe it was summer or fall. 
Clay Young. He never went anywhere without his recorder, without his audio recorder, and he's at Assiniboine Park, and he comes across a woman with a cat named Traveler. I noticed that uh, you're you're walking your cat. People walk dogs. You're walking a cat. A Traveler usually walks me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and the cat actually will sit when you tell them. Yeah, he does, and shakes paw too. <laughs> does he? Does he actually want to get on CGOB? Hello, Traveler. Say hi. Hi. As only Clay Young can. Gets right down on the animal, the visceral level of the animal, and and speaks in that certain tone of voice that only cats can understand. (laughs) It's one of my favorite things that's ever happened on this radio station. Thank you, Clay Young. Shirley is at 204-780-6868. Hey, Shirley. I happen to know Traveler. They live on the next street over to me. Really? (laughs) Really? That is, wow. And I do see her walking her cat. It's a small world. Shirley, what is your story? Well, I used to own an iguana, and it was very affectionate. He used to sit up on a heat lamp because, as you know, they're cold-blooded. Or he'd sit on my shoulder and lean up against my face. And then he'd get down on the floor, and he would eat the cat food. (laughs) And they got along fine. Oh, you had a cat and an iguana, and they got along fine? Yes. Oh. Yes. How How long would an iguana live, Shirley? Well, I don't know, but unfortunately, well, one day uh, the cage door fell on him and it snapped his tail. But would you believe he grew another end on his tail? I've heard that they can do that. And so when you it say it, like it as cut, nice looking as it used to be, but then he got a lump in his side, and um, my daughter-in-law, who was a nurse, told me to give him this pill. Unfortunately. It killed him because it was much too strong. Shirley, we're going to leave it there because you've got your radio on in the background, and it's throw. It's a we can hear us sort of in delay. So if you happen to call us, you need to make sure to turn off your radio. But Shirley, thank you very much. That's that's really fascinating about the iguana. Didn't realize that they were affectionate. That's kind of kind of neat. I think they're just coming close to because they need heat. <laughs> well, it <laughs> sounds a symbiotic like, relationship. Perhaps it sounds, sounds like this particular iguana was cool. But if you have any pet stories that you want to share, particularly, we would like like to hear from you if you have an unusual pet or a pet that maybe you don't consider to be unusual, but that would be outside of the norm, the typical norm of dog or cat. 204-780-6868. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also text 204-780-6868. You can email brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. It's National Pet Day. Do you have a pet outside of the norm? Or maybe you have a normal pet who does abnormal things. Meow. 204-780-6868. Like that. 204-780-6868. It's Mackling and McGarry, your forecast up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. Today is National Pet Day. Yes, there's a day for something. Yesterday was National Sibling Day. You may have seen the posts on social media. Today is National Pet Day. And that got us thinking about our pets. And, of course, whenever I think about pets, I think about my dog, Dexter, who now lives in Scotland with my ex, uh, and that's fine. Uh, it's not. You know, there's no hard feelings there. But from I just wanted to share a clip. Dexter was a, a husky sort of cross of some sort. Skinny He's little beautiful, dog. Beautiful dog. He's a handsome pup. And this was uh, my, part of my last visit with him in May of 2015. He likes to sing. Sing. <laughs> So 
sing. You sure that's not his reaction to your singing? Perhaps. I'm. Mean, that's just me trying to get. Well, because he would do that on command. Oddly enough, the first time he ever did it, I was playing Gangnam Style by Psy. Oh, no, it wasn't even that. I was watching. A, it was a commercial for pistachios, and that was the music that were they were playing because Psy was endorsing pistachios, and he started doing that. <laughs> So okay. I got Dexter from the Winnipeg Pet Rescue Shelter, the no-kill shelter at 3062 Portage Avenue. Thank you to that shelter for providing me and uh, the ex with Dexter and my family. He was a wonderful dog. Ken is at 204-780-6868. And we also have Ken W., but we're starting with Ken. Ken, what's your pet story? Oh, I, I had a pet raccoon. Pardon me? I had a pet raccoon. And how did you come into possession of a pet raccoon? Uh, one day I was over at a friend's place. All right, Ken, thank you. We'll go to Ken W. next. Hi, Ken W., what's your story? Yes, I had this pet rat named him Buddy. He taught himself to give me a, to call me. My girl had me on speed dial. He would hit the phone button, hit the speed dial, put it on speakerphone, and then squeak at me. Seriously? Pet rat named Buddy. Who would speak to you basically on command? Well, he would call me to talk to me. <laughs> That's tremendous. Ken W., thank you for that. That reminds me of my friend Chris Whitaker had yeah. a pet rat. Really? And it was, uh, I think it was just a, it was a white rat. And With it, the red beady eyes? Kind of, yeah. And but it was great, and it was it would be cool because we <laughs> we would let it crawl up our arms, and then it would go up our sleeves, and it'd be it'd go up one side of your shoulders, and then back out the other side, mm-hmm. and it felt like it was it felt weird, but also kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know, the hard feet, to even the hamsters when you'd let them do that, their feet are just a little creepy. <laughs> Gail, is that two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight? Hey, Gail, what's your story? Well, now I got two. Because you're talking about a pet rat, and when I was visiting my daughter in B.C. one time, her and the boys, or the boys, they had a pet rat, and they called him Hamish. And you called yours Hamie or something? But anyways, this guy was so smart. You know, he knew how to get out of an aquarium, and he'd be, you know, sneaking around the house. You can see him going under different furnitures and stuff till he get to the kitchen. And then this little guy, he would, he would somehow wind his way under the sink, and so anyways, long and short of it, he was smarter than the rest of us. So one day I decided, well, you know how we used to, I don't know, I think maybe they still have them, but they have these here puff wheat things, like they're yeah, yeah. sort of the size of a marble. Yeah. So anyways, he was always looking for something. So I, I, I threw one of those, like, you know, the size of a marble. It's a, it's a, a cereal. I don't know what it's called, but I threw it on the floor. And it's like him chasing a dodgeball, like, you know, and he'd try and catch it and he'd be pushing with his nose and he'd try to jump on it and it would run each way and that. And he finally figured, okay, smarty. So he'd get it in the corner and he he got to eat it. But the reason I was phoning is because I used to have a cockatoo named Kiwi and we had a pug. And they were so in love with each other. Like, I don't know if you know what an Eleanor cockatoo is, but they're about... They look about seven, eight inches. They're a fair-sized bird. They're not a cockatoo or cockatiel. And so anyways, uh, she had her, her cage upstairs, and we'd put her there for nighttime. And sometimes we'd give her a pork chop bone or a steak bone or something. And when she was done with it, 
because I had this fat little piggy, you know, pug. She'd yell, Quincy, Quincy, Quincy. And you either had to have a baby get at the bottom of the stairs so he couldn't go upstairs. And if you forgot to do that, he'd be charging up there. And then all of a sudden you'd hear this bone go crash. So the cockatiel would call the dog when she was done or when it was done with the bone. Absolutely. Isn't that something? Gail, thank you for that story. Sorry, we have to let let you go there. At 204-780-6868, somebody, Sandy, texted us saying, I know someone with a descented pet skunk. More affectionate than most cats. I live outside Winnipeg and have one dog, two rabbits, and 14 chickens. Love animals. Thank you, Sandy. And, and I've heard that about skunks. They apparently make wonderful pets. I've heard that as well. Very affectionate. They are adorable. Uh, I always feel sort of bad for the skunk because they're these loving, lovely animals, but... It's their little, it's their little hands. <laughs> Right, and they kind of look at you, and you can tell they've got some incredible manual dexterity with those little hands, and which makes them a little bit closer to human. I think that's I mean, what well, endears skunks or raccoons. Uh, well, both, but I think the skunks as well. I think that's kind of what endears us <laughs> to them. And of course, Pepe Le Pew has probably, you know, helped along the way for oh, us for to sure. have a little bit of affection for those stinky creatures. And we'll just take Paul quickly here at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Hey, Paul, what's your story? Hey there, we have, uh, we had Gabe the dog. He was a, uh, my son started doing some memes with his buddies online and uh, it went uh, international on Facebook. Gabe the dog had over 300,000 followers and. uh, Wow. Going to have to look that up. Gabe Gabe, the dog. The dog. Gabe the dog. He went international. There was a, uh, like a talk show in China. Yeah. Oh, there's all sorts of videos here. Oh, check it out. It's, uh. It's pretty cool what, what the followers he had and the people he helped that he touched, people with uh, PTSD and stuff like that, and helped him through, uh, helped them through many hard times. So, so what a, he was a really uh, cool thing. He, has he passed now? He's passed, yeah. He, he min- recently passed away. Miniature American Eskimo and Pomeranian, yes? Yes. That's yeah. the right guy? Thank you so much, That's Paul. Him. Appreciate yeah. the tip, Paul. Thank you very much. And if you want to see Gabe the dog, seriously, just Google Gabe the dog and you'll see a whole bunch of hits. And it is 127. Thank you for your thoughts on National Pet Day. The news at 130 is up next on 680 CJOB. Well, I didn't know people would want to talk so much about their exotic pets. Dean's got a great text message here. I've never heard of this one before. Tannis, hang tight. We'll get you in a moment. But I wanted to follow up on this because I don't know if this made it to our news run yesterday. But just a moment ago, you were talking about a scorpion in a, in a was it in a salad or in a, a piece of fruit? It was in a fruit? bag of spinach in Maryland. Well, how about this one? Fresh Express recalls salads after decomposed bat found in a package. This from Global News on April 9th. Two people in Florida reportedly made a grisly discover while munching away at some Fresh Express organic market-side spring mix salad. A decomposed bat nestled amid the baby lettuce and radicchio. The salad brand announced a precautionary recall of the salad from Walmart stores in the southeastern United States due to what it is uh, describing as extraneous animal matter being allegedly found in a single (laughs) container of salad. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, a little more forthcoming about the species of the offending animal. 
The Federal Health Protection Agency added in its release that the bat's corpse was being sent to a rabies lab for laboratory testing because the animal's deteriorated condition made it difficult to immediately rule out whether it had rabies. It said two people in Florida reported eating some of the salad before the bat was found. Extraneous animal matter. <laughs> yeah, it's called a bat. <laughs> a bat in the, what was it, lettuce you said? In the, in the lettuce, yes. Okay, we'll get mm-hmm. to Dean's text in a moment here. Tannis is waiting patiently at 204-780-6868. Tannis, thank you very much for calling and for your patience. What is your story? Well, when I was a young teenager, my dad actually started raising pheasants. And I was able to keep one as a pet for a while. And when it hatched from its egg, it would come running up to my hand and then run up my arm and curl up at the base of my neck. Really? Pheasants? Yes. That's cool. They can get kind of loud and kind of big, can't they? Well, yes, they can. And the nice thing about them was that my dad had them in his garage and and they were actually not very noisy at all. It's more peacocks that get loud. But my dad had a silver pheasant, which is the size of about a turkey. And this thing would come, my dad would close the garage and this thing would come out of its cage and follow my dad around in the garage. Oh, they're just, I'm looking at pictures of silver pheasants right now. They're quite lovely. They are lovely. Actually, I had a golden pheasant, which is very similar in coloring or uh, pattern to a, um, oh, geez. Uh, oh, yeah, it's very colorful. It's like a rainbow. It? Yes. Yes. It's red, orange, yellow. It, they're beautiful birds. So, I mean, mine was very friendly with me. It would, even as a young adult, it would cuddle up in my arms. My dad's, it would follow him around the garage and, and dance for him. Tannis, I have to know, what did you name the pheasant? Fawn. Fawn, okay. That's a pretty name. Thanks for sharing yeah. that story with us. Appreciate no it. Tannis joining us at 7806868. A pet pheasant. Sometimes you'll see peacocks wandering around. I've seen them in Fort Gary. Yeah. Around North Drive. They have they like follow the river from the zoo. And so there are some peacocks that wander around different parts of Winnipeg. And if you ever see one, it's because they've escaped from the zoo. <laughs> I'm not even joking. That's, that's great. <laughs> uh, you had, there was a text here from Dean yeah. that you wanted to read. This is unusual because this animal is famous for its memory and it can be kind of evil when it wants to be. Dean said, I had a pet crow as a kid growing up on the farm. Dad and I went out to the pasture and found a nest. I climbed up and took a young one home. He was an awesome pet that stayed close. However, he did like shiny objects, so the nuts and bolts would always disappear as Dad worked on the farm equipment. Wow. Apparently they have very good memories, and they are capable of holding a grudge. Oh, no. Yes. You don't want that. You don't want that. Uh, Jordan is at 204-780-6868. Hey, Jordan, what's your story? I have a bird-eating tarantula. You have a bird-eating tarantula. Yeah, yeah. How he's big a, is this thing? They're, they're huge. He's not. She well, she's not full size yet, but she's pretty big. <laughs> Where would you acquire such a thing? And may I ask why you would want one in your presence, Jordan? <laughs> I'm in. Uh, I'm in pest control, so I like that kind of stuff. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I actually have a story about uh, raccoons, too. 
Go ahead. I had a I had a manager who wanted to show his kids these baby raccoons and the mom uh, from a place that he took them out of the chimney. So not thinking, he grabbed them or he picked them all up with his bare hands, which you don't do. Uh, so when he got home, he opened up the back of his truck to show his kids, and he had to cover it real quick because the mother actually smelt his hand on all the babies and, and uh, skinned them. <laughs> it's pretty dark, but... <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I just looked at pictures thank you, thank of your you, birdie. Thank you, thank you, Mother Nature. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, so... He was close to scarring his kids, that's for sure. No <laughs> doubt. I'm taking a look as well of, of pictures of this bird-eating tarantula. And one yeah, picture thing. in particular, the man's got his hand on the carpet next to the tarantula, yeah. and the tarantula kind of dwarfs his hand. Yes. Yeah, yeah. they get they get very, very big. Like a mouse is no problem for them. My gosh. <laughs> Jordan, thank you very much. Uh, hopefully you're on our team for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Don't need you against <laughs> us. Glad you're with us, buddy. Thank you very much, Jordan. Please don't sick your monstrous spider on us. Uh, Text at 204-780-6868. We adopted a cat. You're reading this? Can I? I'm doing this cold. You know what? Maybe I shouldn't. I'll let you read it. I'll read another one because I, I, I think it's funny, but I think it could be a, somebody trying to get us into a little bit of trouble here, but yeah. I'm not sure. It, wow. could be a, it could be a joke. <laughs> Michaela says our family just rescued a dog from the pound last week. Dakota is her name, and she is a shepherd border collie, and she loves to hug. I uh, kid you not, on her back legs and front paws up on her chest, her snoot in your neck, she is the cutest. Yeah, I, I dig the... I Dig the dig the dogs. And Tim says, my brother has a leopard gecko that has to be at least 15 years old. It's a small lizard, about four inches. So thank you for your feedback to everybody at 204-780-6868 who called and texted uh, for to talk about National Pet Day. The reason why we're talking about animals, it's National Pet Day. Yesterday was National Sibling Day. Today is National Pet Day. And oh, we just got another text here from someone named Chris. We'll read this and then we will pause. About 10 years ago, my wife and I were traveling south on Highway 59 past St. Malo. There was a very strange looking dog, in air quotes, running alongside the highway. We slowed down to a crawl as we wanted to take a good look. As it was strutting, we noticed big, sharp teeth, and it was drooling. It was scruffy and had a high, had high shoulders with a very low back, and it started towards us abruptly, put the fear in us, so we gunned it, put a chill down our spine. As it turns out, a local person was illegally keeping wild animals, and this turned out to be a hyena. Oh, get out of town. That is, that's creepy. Thank you, Chris, for sharing that story. We'll have to look into it. Uh, Spine tingling. Wow. Yeah, no kidding. Good thing you got out of there safe and sound. Uh, do we have time to take one more call? Do you want to? Sure, let's do that. Okay. Herman is at 204-780-6868. Herman, 60 seconds. What's your story? Oh, uh, my brother had a dog that sang Old Canada. Um, he was a <laughs> he was a dairy farmer, and and in the morning uh, he'd go in the farm uh, or in the barn early, and the dog would always be with, there with him, and they would be always in the barn, uh, and CKDM would play O Canada uh, sometime uh, like six o'clock in the morning or whatever it was, and it didn't matter who was singing O Canada or what orchestra was playing it or whatever the tune O Canada. And the dog never howled or sang with anything else, but he always sang Old Canada every morning. 
so nothing would make this dog howl, nothing would make this dog sing, but when it was time to show this, show some patriotism, the dog stepped up. And he was in the barn singing O Canada. <laughs> That's unusual. That's great. <laughs> I know. I, a, I couldn't believe it. Herman, thank <laughs> you very much for sharing that story. Uh, we love uh, to hear your, your pet stories, all your stories, but thank you for sharing your pet stories t- today on National Pet Day. Or, you know, you could also send us an email about National A-Track Day if you want to send a story about lamenting the long-lost A-Track. 204-780-6868 is a number to text. 144, your forecast is up next. He's Brett, I'm Greg, and the headline from mytoba.ca Written by Kevin Klein is My Mother, the Face of Domestic Violence. April 5th would have marked the 71st birthday of Kevin Klein's mother, Joanne, but she was murdered by her husband, Kevin's stepfather. And on any given day, more than 3,300 women, along with their 3,000 children, sleep in an emergency shelter to escape domestic violence in Canada. About half, 49% of all female murder victims in Canada are killed by a former or current intimate partner. Last night, Kevin Klein joined our friend Charles Adler, and we wanted to share part of his story. And we'll pick it up where Kevin starts talking about the fact that her mom had just graduated and gotten a job as a nurse. She had just gotten a job in a hospital. And, um, you know, at her you know, being a really early 40-year-old woman, got a job in a hospital, got a career. I think she felt she could do this on her own, that she could get through this. And, and I really believe she was embarrassed. Um, we found out through uh, other sources later, uh, after the tragedy, that she had actually gone to a woman's shelter a few times. But again, it's, it's secretive, and they don't. They just kind of offered her a place to stay and, and some solitude and some safety, which is great, but no way out. No, no answer to her problems. Take me to the day where you're a young man in your 20s and your mother has just been murdered and you're less than 10 feet away from her murderer. Yeah. What was that like um, for you? No, that was hard, Charles. Um, I, yeah, it was... Uh, I, I remember that day... Uh, I remember listening to, you know, at first he was let out, he was, he was given bail. Uh, and then, and, and I, I hate to say it as a quote, but I, I remember the words echoing that his lawyer was telling the judge at the time that he, you know, he killed a family member. He's not a danger to society. Uh, he's not a flight risk. He's not going anywhere. And, you know, I've had to face that man several times. Because uh, I, you know, with my brothers, we attend, we attended his couple of parole hearings that he had, uh, and, and each time I can't, I can't describe it. I, can't, I wish I could, and I'm sorry. I no, that, that's all right. There are all sorts of there are all sorts of solid, uh, reasonable psychological reasons why why you block things out, especially something like that. When did he get out, uh, Kevin? He did. Uh, he was. Uh, he's been out for a long time. He he did. I think it was approximately seven and a half years total, eight years behind bars, if that. And he was out on the street. He lives in Ontario now and uh, has a fairly decent life, from what I understand. Travels. We get. You know, uh, under the Canadian government, we get uh, victims services or whatever. We get notices when he travels and stuff. Seems to be having a a good time. So when when you say that, 
is there a hint in that uh, for anybody that um, the system works? Because uh, for, for most of us, the idea that uh, your mom's killer only does seven years, for most of us, that's hideous. For me, it's it's insane. I, I mean, I, every day that goes by, you know, I, it, it was just the other day when I somebody had spoken to me about the story. I said, you know, it's, it's interesting because every day now I sit there and I think I've lived, you know, so much longer than my mother did. You know, my mother never met, you know, uh, grandkids. And there's, you know, she's, we never, we've never got to have that family connection. There's been so much that we've lost. Uh, and... And so much for such a little amount of time, it just, I, I don't like to be angry about it. And I, I, you know, I spent a lot of years hiding from it. I'll be honest. I was, you know, probably more troubled than I had admitted in my early years. And uh, I spent a, a lot of years being afraid to talk about it, um, being afraid of judgment because of it. And, and now I, I think I, I want to speak more about it because I think that, like what you said, something has to be done to say that it, murder is murder. This is somebody had taken somebody's life because they're partners or because they're in a relationship. It doesn't change the fact that they committed a murder. They took somebody's life. And there has to be a more severe penalty for that. And there has to be opportunities for women or, or men that might be in a, in, a, in, a, in a situation of harm to get, to get help and to get, get the support they can to get out. Because I can tell you, Charles, and, and you and I have known each other for a while, I was embarrassed to tell people what happened in my life. I, I didn't know what people would think of me. Something that makes no sense to me, just this is about the human condition more than the system, I guess. Um, whether it's murder, whether it's uh, sexual abuse, any kind of violence, for some reason... Uh, we hold people to a higher standard when they're committing violence to a stranger than when they're doing it to their mom, their dad, their kids, their wife. Why is that? I agree exactly, and I have offered on numerous occasions in writing letters, emails, face-to-face communications with politicians at every level, from municipal to, to provincial to federal, uh, at, at every level, to to be a, to help, to do whatever I could to help them understand what a family goes through, to be a different voice, if you will, so that they're not painting domestic violence or family violence with one brush. Let's look at it with reality. Let's really have an open discussion about it. And I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to be that face, and I'm happy to do whatever it takes. But I'll be honest, after several years of trying, I, I just get ignored. I usually get, you know, the typical letter, we're so sure. sorry to hear what yeah. happened to you, and, and blah, 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 and that's the end of it. But it just makes no sense. I mean, it never has. You know, a stranger grabs a kid in a park. We want to put the stranger in the box for life. But if a father or brother is grabbing that same kid night after night after night, we're thinking we should get the person some help. I've just shared from my Twitter account the entire audio, as well as the article by Kevin Klein in mytoba.ca. Kevin Klein is the publisher there. You can listen to the entire conversation. Charles Adler right here on 680 CJOB from 9 till midnight. Those are the types of stories, Brett, that when Charles tells them, when he engages with an individual, uh, that's a side of Charles Adler I think that we'd just barely started to get to learn 
uh, before his time in Winnipeg came to an end. And I love when he delves into personal stories like this. He, he does it like no one else. The headline, once again, is My Mother, The Face of Domestic Violence, written by Kevin Klein, the interview with Kevin Klein and Charles Adler. And again, sorry, you shared it. You said you shared it on Twitter. Did you share it? Your personal handle? I did. I sold. I shared it from my uh, own handle, GMAC Winnipeg. GMAC Winnipeg on Twitter. Global News coming up at 2 o'clock on 680 CJOB. It's budget day 205, about an hour from now, give or take. We are expecting to hear details of the Manitoba provincial budget. We are covering this news story uh, like we cover just about nothing else. So keep it locked here to 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling with you through until 3 o'clock or so. And then we will join Richard Cluche. Kim Lawson, Keith McCullough, all at the Manitoba Legislature. We've got Julie Buckingham, Christian O'Mell, Matt Cardi here in studio, in the newsroom, collecting all the reaction that you count on 680 CJOB for. In the meantime, there is an event happening tonight at McNally Robinson with a best-selling and award-winning Canadian author named Sharon Butala. This is an event happening once again at 7 o'clock to promote her new book, Where I Live Now, A Journey Through Love and Loss to Healing and Hope. Sharon joins us live in studio on 680 CJOB. Sharon, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, A Journey Through Love and Loss to Healing and Hope. What inspired you to take us on this journey? Well, actually, that's not my subtitle. (laughs) I would never have picked it. That was the company's. But... uh, What happened was that I was contracted to write a book about uh, women and aging. And when it was done, it turned out that I hadn't paid any attention to the word count or, you know, uh, in the contract. And my book was twice as long as it was supposed to be. So the editor decided uh, part of the contract had been that I would write about my own story of uh, losing my husband and aging and having to move to the city from the ranch and all the rest of it. So she decided that it would make a lot more sense if we just pulled the memoir part out and that I turned it into a book, which is what happened. Uh, So it wasn't exactly that I ever decided to do that. It just sort of happened. Tell us a little bit about Sharon and Peter's life in southwestern Saskatchewan back in the day. Well, I would say it was probably a typical uh, story of a ranching family, except that we didn't have children. I had a son from my first marriage, but we didn't have kids and we were not really young. He was 41, I was 36. And uh, it was a case of his having been born and lived there his entire life and knowing the land, his own land, and the animals that a rancher deals with intimately and uh, being so much a part of that universe that it was almost as if he was like, there were no trees, so we couldn't say he was like a tree on the place, but... You know, he was very much an organic part of of that universe, and I was not. I'd been born into a kind of wilderness, but I had uh, thought of myself as a city person and working at U of S, instructing and so on, when I met and married Peter. So I had this whole universe to learn, and you could never have found a better teacher because there was absolutely no disputing his authority. He was just... You know, he was part of it. So he taught me how to live 
on the land the way he did. He taught me about the habits of the animals, both wild and domestic, and about the plants and, you know, the a kind of version of the local history that he knew from having lived in much of it. Place wasn't opened, you know, till 1910 for settlement, and his family started coming around 1913. So it uh, wasn't ancient, you know, but it was the only world he ever knew. You mentioned that you were born into a kind of wilderness. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, East-central Saskatchewan, on about a parallel with what was then called the Squaw Rapids Dam, or is now, I'm not sure, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, anyway, we were in bush country. Um, my parents went there when the government opened it for settlement. It's close to the Red Earth Cree Reserve, uh, up in that area near the Torch River and the Carrot River and so on, which are Aboriginal uh, translations of Aboriginal names. And there were there were virtually no roads, no electricity, no nothing. And my dad, it was uh, I was born in 1940, so my dad uh, uh, started a sawmill. It was the beginning of the Second World War, and timber was in need, uh, was needed, I guess I should have said. And uh, so we were in a log house in the bush, um, not much around except the stars and bears and trees and First Nations people in the days before at least the women spoke any English, uh, and they led a pretty traditional life still. So how did you get to the University of Saskatchewan? <laughs> Uh, I think our mother instilled it. We're five daughters. You know, everyone says, oh, you're poor dad. <laughs> but we were instilled the desire to improve our lot in life was certainly instilled in us by our mother, who, by the way, was a Manitoban uh, from a Graham family south of Brandon. And uh, she had, uh, you know, a great interest in us getting an education. So we somehow it was just an idea that grew that we would... Uh, we would get, we would move out of that universe into a better one. So, the I'm sorry, I'm just picturing the the living in the the, the cabin. I guess the transition I find interesting that you sort of you were born into that kind of life, and then mm-hmm. you left it, and then you ended up sort of back in it with your husband. Is yeah, that? Yeah, that's exactly right. And in fact, the what we lived in when we first got married on the uh, when we were on the hay farm was a log house that had been moved onto the place in 1912 and it was pretty horrible. It had certain <laughs> wonderful things about it that it was very very quiet inside and it kind of had sunk into the earth a little bit, you know, so it was uh, really organic in a way that a modern house absolutely is not and very connected to the earth because, you know, you, you the first thing you do is build a cement basement, you know, when you build a house and it separates you. But a log house just kind of had a dirt cellar, you know. It was very quiet, as I said, and uh, there was something very earthy and homey about it. But at the same time, it was riddled with mice. Uh, it was freezing, uh, you know, it was not an easy place to live. So then we fast forward to Peter's passing. Yes. And now you have a decision to make. You are going to move to Calgary, I'm assuming. Yep. And so you have this world, this life where by the sounds of things, and I don't want to, not a bleak 
picture I'm trying to paint here, but really what you had were one another to a great extent, yes? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. No one's ever said that before, but uh, yes. So how do you move on from that? Oh, my gosh. I, You know, there's a way in which I have no idea what the answer is to that, and then there's a whole list of things that I can tell you. How do you move on? First of all, you have to get it into your head that dead means dead. It doesn't mean he'll be back next week. It, it, it doesn't mean that you will ever have that life back again. And if you don't ever have that life back again, then you had better get your wits about you and start making a new life. And I think most widows come to that. My situation was different in that uh, when Peter died and I knew that I could not run the hay farm, the ranch was already the old man on his back by then, uh, conservation area. Uh, I knew I couldn't carry on as Peter had on the place by myself, that I really didn't have a choice. I had to sell and move on. And the only logical place that was left for me to go was to where my grown son with his wife and children was, which was Calgary. So that was the only reason I went there. It wasn't because I wanted to go there. Once I got there, however, having come out of a city life, an urban life where music and the arts and so on had been what I'd missed most all those years on the ranch, I was at first tremendously exhilarated to be in a place where I could go to a play practically any day of the week with good production values and wonderful actors, no, nothing fake or amateurish about it, that I could go to chamber music concerts, even the opera, and movies. I cannot tell you how I missed movies, you know, more than anything, because as an art form, uh, there's nothing more dynamic than than film. And so I really, uh, that was one, the sort of thing that saved me in the city was that I, for a long time I was just lapping it up, you know. I didn't have that much time to notice what I'd lost. Was it a, a, re-awa- a reawakening for you on some level? Yeah, for sure, in terms of the arts. I went back to painting again, which I had always seen myself as being until I married Peter, as being a painter. I have a degree in art, one of my first uh, undergrad degrees. Um but um, I've kind of lost track here. You know, you better ask me another question. No, it's okay. Uh, well, before, me, uh, we have to. Do we, should we take a break or go ahead, Brett? Well, I'll just for, before we pause for the forecast, I just I'm just trying to get the timeline in my head here. You. Uh, so, how long were you married to Peter? Uh, we got married in '76, and he died in 2007. Uh, I was on the place most of a year before our wedding, and I stayed on 14 months after his death. So I come up with a figure of 33 years. Okay, so for, so you were, uh, 2007, he, he passed. You were at the, the ranch for 14 months, and that's when you ended up in Calgary after that? That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation about uh, your reawakening, as Greg put it, and, of course, we'll learn more about the book, Where I Live Now. Sharon Butella is her name. She is an author now based out of Calgary. She will be in McNally Robinson tonight at 7 o'clock to talk about her book. And we'll continue our chat after your forecast. Up next. 219 on Budget Day, Tuesday afternoon. He's Brett. I'm Greg. Sharon Batula joins us here in studio. The uh, book is Where I Live Now, a journey through love and loss to healing and hope. And we spoke a little bit about your reawakening, as uh, I was terming it. And... Sharon, I can't help but wonder, how did Peter manage to convince you to move from Saskatoon 
into essentially the middle of nowhere. He must have been a pretty awesome guy. <laughs> well, as I think I said earlier, it wasn't just his awesomeness, although that was pretty evident. But I actually drove down in a little sports car with a boyfriend who had a PhD <laughs> in biology at that point. And the only reason that I actually went at his invitation was because this guy was from the British Isles and he was dying to see a Canadian ranch. And I had the invitation and because my son was equally eager to see cowboys at work. So we went. And when we got there, there'd been a mix-up about what weekend it actually was, and Peter wasn't expecting us, and uh, they were moving cows. Uh, They were on the hay farm with them, and they had run out of feed and had to get them to the ranch where there was some grazing. And uh, it was kind of a last-minute thing because it had been raining so much they couldn't get on the roads. So they had no choice but to truck them. So there were a bunch of cowboys there, and they were all moving the cows down along the Frenchman River where the corrals were. And uh, I I spent most of the day just sitting on on the corral fence, you know, watching what was going on and just so struck, I guess is the right word, by how beautiful it was and what a universal quality it had, as if there had always been men on horseback moving cows through green grass into corrals and loading them on trucks and so on, and I had just never known about it. I was just blown away, and uh, I don't think I even ever wanted to leave there again, but I was lecturing at U of S. I had to get back to work. Sean had to get to school. And the boyfriend was no longer my boyfriend at the time the weekend was. I waited till he got me back to Saskatoon, of course. <laughs> so, so the idea, this romantic notion, if I may call it that, of, of being on the land, had it had really struck you in, in that handful of hours that you were there. Yeah. It, it was almost like a calling for you. Yeah, and I think that I have thought ever since and put it in my earlier memoir, The Perfection of the Morning, which I wrote after I'd been there 18 years, uh, that it had to do with that upbringing up in the bush, you know, where the first world I knew for at least the first four years was one of wilderness and uh, wolves howling in the bush, you know, and uh, bears in the clearings and so on and so forth. And it must have, I, I, you know, who can explain these things? But uh, at some level I had, even though... It was a frightening world in a lot of ways. It was my first introduction to the universe, and I guess that I felt that again. I picked up from what I didn't even know was there on that long weekend in 75. So your book is called Where I Live Now, A Journey Through Love and Loss to Healing and Hope, which you were very quick to say, I wouldn't have picked that subtitle. So how would you describe the book? Oh, I, I would have had a hard time, but it would have sounded better. It wouldn't sounded so self-healthish, I, I guess. But, you know, publishers aren't in business for the good of their health. They're in it to sell books. So they wanted to define what they thought was what people wanted. For myself, it's called Where I Live Now. Uh, something, I'm, the first thing that pops into my head is in the land of What? In the land of the lost, maybe. Um, How would you describe the 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 book itself? Uh, you know, if somebody for somebody who picks it up, what do they? What do you think that they will discover? 
I think they will discover that although there is obviously a level where it's very much about grief, that is really not all the book is about by any means. It's about how I became a writer. Uh, It's about how I learned to live um, in a a way that at some level is almost a more normal way than city dwellers live, which is in close connection to the land and the seasons and the weather and the animals and the birds. And, uh, oh, something about the beauty of the natural world. You have grandkids now? I do, but one is 20, uh-huh. just finishing up his second year at the Alberta College of Art and Design, and the other will be 15 in a month and is going to be in, well, I get mixed up, middle school, high school, whatever. It's going to be in grade 10 pretty soon. <laughs> I think they call it high school, but uh, we'll, go with, we'll go with high school. Ha- have you got a strong connection, and do they, do they love to, what do they call you, and do they love your stories? Well, at the beginning, uh, because there has be, there had been a divorce and oh, all the rest of it, they didn't know what the heck to call me. So we settled on Grandma Sharon to keep me from being confused from my daughter-in-law's mother. But that has kind of dropped, uh, you know, some time ago, and I'm just Grandma to them. Sharon, I'm looking at your website, SharonBatala.com, and uh, looks like you... How many books have you written here? Because I'm seeing the uh, awards galore. Uh, well, I've published 18 books. This is number 18. But I've actually written into the early 20s. I, I have two novels on the go at home. I have a completed collection of short stories, and I have another book coming out, uh, a novel coming out next spring with a different publisher. Well, it's just uh, tremendous uh, to to learn a little bit about you. We, we're always racing against the clock, and unfortunately we've lost once again. But you have an opportunity, you listening to this radio station right now, have an opportunity to meet Sharon Batala. Tonight she will be at McNally Robinson at 7 o'clock to talk about her new book, Where I Live Now. Uh, it's a memoir by Sharon Batala. She, and again, the website, SharonBatala.com, where you can learn more, see all the awards that she has won, and learn more about her past works. Sharon, thank you for coming in today. Oh, it's been great. Thanks a lot to both of you. Global News is coming up next. White House briefing earlier this afternoon, Sean Spicer, uh, some comments about Syria, and now the Pentagon is addressing the situation between the United States and Syria, such as it is a uh, developing story. I don't know how much more is going to happen over the next uh, several days, but we'll keep an eye on it and uh, certainly uh, do our best to keep you up to date uh, at the bottom and the top of the hour during our news. And then around 3 o'clock this afternoon, we anticipate the Manitoba budget. Keep it locked here to 680 CGOB. We'll get you all the information as it breaks. The moment we can tell you what's in the budget, you will have it. We'll have it here for you first here on 680 CGOB. He's Brett. I'm Greg. And you mentioned the forecast for tomorrow is looking fairly decent, looking even better for Thursday. Not so good Friday. No. I know you love to golf. <laughs> yes. I'm looking back at an article here from golf.com okay. from December of 2015. President Trump, now President Trump, then potential presidential candidate Donald Trump, was giving Barack Obama a hard time about how much time he golfed. About At the time, it was about 250 rounds in his entire presidency. I just had a graphic scroll across my Twitter feed from the New York Times. Days at a golf course during the first 81 days as president. Uh, George Bush, zero. Bill Clinton, three. Barack Obama, zero. Donald Trump, 17. 
<laughs> no hypocrisy whatsoever but from we, the Donald. But we are certain now to receive text messages as oh, we yes. did yesterday. Yes, yes. Uh, yesterday we got some angry test text messages from Trump supporters who uh, were claiming you were referring to Trump's language about how he had in the past just gone up to women and Yes. We, well, we all know what he said. Yep. And uh, you compared it to sexual assault, and one of our listeners said, that's locker room talk isn't the same as sexual assault. Like, well, it's in, in the tape he admitted to being to doing this to women and just blowing it off. He boasted of doing it. He boasted it. So that's not hysteria. That's not liberal hysteria. That is simply commenting on Donald Trump's exact words. So I, I just, I get the feeling that and I, I would really like to have a conversation with Trump supporters. Just sit down and have a civilized discussion. What do you think of his administration so far? Why did you vote for Donald Trump? Not because I have a problem with you. Hey, you support Donald Trump? Great. But if we're going to say something about Donald Trump that is fact, and then you turn around and say, oh, you're... And, and, and spew hatred. The text messages that we got from this individual were so full of hate. I just get this feeling that people who vote voted for Trump, who support Trump, are hateful people. I would like to be proven wrong. So if you are a Trump supporter, feel please feel free to send me an email on your thoughts on his first... We're at 81 days. 81 days. In office, brett at cjob.com. I would actually, I would genuinely like to have. I've never seen you chat. worked up about politics like that before. Generally, you, uh, you you know, it's kind of an arm's length thing for you, in my opinion. But th- th- this has you bothered the way people communicate with one another about facts these days and alternate facts. And the fact that anytime you report on something, and once again, this is just a fun little trivial fact. I found it entertaining that uh, before he became president, Donald Trump had a hard time understanding a whole bunch of things that Barack Obama was doing and uh, now he's uh, you know way way off the way off the grid in terms of things that he's doing himself anyway we, we should move on because tomorrow's a special day our community ambassador for chorus Winnipeg Eva Kovacs joins us now and it's almost like she's in studio she's in another studio but in another building why do you do that to us Eva <laughs> I wish I could have dropped by to actually sit there with you guys and visit we always Just wasn't have, in the cards today we always have have a lot of fun. So I know you guys are awesome, and I really appreciate you guys making some time for uh, We All Have Ability Day. How is, how is Chorus getting involved, and more specifically, 680 CJOB? Yeah, so tomorrow is We All Have Ability Day. And so since 2013, Easter Seals, Manit- the Easter Seals Manitoba and SMD Foundation, they've uh, created this fundraiser. So whenever you go and buy a booster juice smoothie at uh, any booster juice location, a dollar of what you spend goes back to this organization. And so it happens between noon and three o'clock tomorrow. So it just at that time when you want to go for lunch or you feel like something to kind of brighten up your day, you want to go get that smoothie, that's the time to go. So we're going to have a bunch of people at the location on Ellis Avenue, the booster juice at 1441 Ellis Avenue. Uh, We'll have people taking one-hour time slots there. So if you want to meet up with some of the people that we have on air at Global and 680 CJOB, that's your opportunity to uh, meet them with maybe an apron on. <laughs> They'll serve up your smoothie for you. If you feel like a funky monkey or a mango tango, Loren McNabb's going to be there with Richard Cloutier tomorrow from noon to one. One to two, Adriana from Global News Morning and Julie Buckingham will be going head-to-head making those smoothies. And from two till three, 
Mitch Rossett and Kelly Moore will be there. It'll oh, be fun. Got the sports guys together. <laughs> we do. Yes. That could be dangerous. I I think it'll be interesting, right? They've got a competitive nature, so uh, I don't know how that's going to play out tomorrow. <laughs> so, uh, Eva, I also see that uh, Sam Stevens and Travis Stewart from Peggy at 991 will be at 827 Dakota Street uh, from noon to 1. Randy Parker from Power 97 will be at 1439 Henderson from noon to 1. What you is bet. the what is happening in terms of proceeds? Uh, as, like if I go into a booster juice and I throw my money down, where does it go? So $1 is then channeled to SMD Foundation, Easter Seals, Manitoba. And basically, this money goes to help support vital programs and services that are utilized by more than 47,000 children a year, youth, adults, all with disabilities. And so it's a really big deal. You think of one in six Manitobans has a disability, and that's 15% of the population. And so this money ensures that there are some important programs available to them. Um, the program started in t- 2013, this fundraiser, and since then they've raised approximately $12,000. And, you know, you talk about budget time and, you know, how you've got to count your pennies and make sure that um, things can happen and that you don't have to get rid of various programs. And so uh, Easter Seals SMD doing what they can and using this as one of their fundraisers coming up tomorrow. So from noon till 3 o'clock any booster juice in this city will have this going on and of course we've got some of those special locations where we have course staff hanging out eva we're going to bring into the conversation now armando versace he is marketing and lotteries manager for the society for manitobans with disabilities smd and armando uh, eva telling us about this event tomorrow but maybe you could tell us a little bit more about where that money goes Sure. Thanks for having me on uh, this afternoon. The, we're proud to have Booster Juice as a as a local sponsor and also as a national sponsor for uh, Easter Seals uh, across the across Canada. But um, all the all the monies that go, as as Eva was mentioning, to all vital programs and services, and and when we when we you know that's a line that we 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 use to convey in a nutshell what it is. But these these programs are vital. Uh, and they are essential to, for individuals to be more independent in their communities, to um, be more active, but participate with uh, with peers uh, that have disabilities and, and peers without disabilities. So we provide accessibility uh, through our programs. We provide opportunities, whether it be uh, in the workplace, uh, whether it be with um, assistive technology devices, an individual uh, that needs uh, something as simple as a uh, as a walker or um, a wheelchair or uh, any other device uh, that would make their lives uh, uh, more uh, beneficial. That's what we do here at, at SMD, and, and we've been doing it, uh, you know, for over sixty-five years. Forty-seven thousand children, youth, and adults, Armando, are using your services. So, uh, and I understand that you have uh, five members of the SMD family, each with a specific role to play. One of them, for example, the SMD Alliance. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, so the, the, the five, um, five members of, of SMD uh, each play uh, uh, different roles. The SMD Alliance pr- provides the strategic direction and coordination for all the SMD operations. Uh, we have the clearinghouse, which provides support to organizations um, of people engaged in self-help activities. So we have uh, 12 self-help groups that use, uh, utilize SMD Clearinghouse for their meeting spaces, 
uh, basically to run their offices. These these organizations are, are so small that they wouldn't be able to exist without the uh, financial support that the clearinghouse provides to, to them, and they're able to reach out to their membership, whether it be muscular dystrophy, whether it be autism, Manitoba. There are a number of different organizations that um, you utilize our space to get, again reach out to uh, to their membership. Um, the foundation is obviously the fundraising uh, arm of the foundation. Not only fundraising, but we, prov- we we provide awareness to people with disabilities and um, and provide those opportunities for people with disabilities and people who, who don't know about our organization, letting them know about um, our organization. Um, also, obviously, SMD Services provides those programs and services ranging from education, ranging from work experiencing, work experience, counseling, therapy programs, and such. Um, and then we have SMD Ventures, which is just a, a building partnerships and, and joint ventures um, on behalf of SMD to provide that uh, uh, extra support that we need. Armando, thanks for helping us take an inside look at where money goes and the work that SMD does. It's very valuable. It's critical work in our community. Thanks for this. We appreciate your time this afternoon. Great. Thank you, and appreciate all the uh, support we get from your listeners to go out and buy a smoothie tomorrow. Right on. Eva, you still there? I'm still here. So, you know, there's a great rundown from Armando of what SMD does. And maybe just one more time, let our listeners know how they can support, how they can get involved tomorrow. Yeah, so tomorrow at any Booster Juice location across the city, you can pop in between 12 and 3, and a dollar of your purchase for a smoothie will be going to SMD Foundation Easter Seals, Manitoba. Specifically, if you head down to the one on Ellis Avenue, 1441, we'll have a bunch of CJOB and Global News staff there. We'll also have folks from Peggy at the Dakota Street location from noon till 1, and Randy Parker from Power 97 will be noon to 1 at the Henderson Highway location, 1439. So if you ever wanted to have a smoothie tomorrow, just lighten your day. It's uh, definitely going to a good cause. Of course, Winnipeg's community ambassador, Eva Kovacs. Eva, always great some, to get some time with you. Next time, you better be in studio. It'll happen. Okay, Promise. Eva. Thanks so much for all <laughs> Thanks, you guys. do and all the awareness that you, you bring to these events. Uh, not, uh, noon until 1, pardon me, Loren McNabb and Richard Cloutier down at 1441 Ellis Avenue from 1 until 2. Adriana Zhang will be there with uh, Julie Buckingham and 2 till 3. Mitch Rossett and Kelly Moore, the sports guys, will be there from uh, 2 to 3. 1441 Ellis Avenue at Booster Juice, all in support of SMD. 246 on 680 CJOB, your forecast up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. And Greg wants to uh, talk about ball hockey in a moment. Uh, so I'm actually curious about that. He says, you ever play ball, ball hockey when you were a kid? So I'm curious to know where he's going with that. I do just want to quickly revisit. We were talking, I kind of got fired up out of nowhere talking about Donald Trump. And it wasn't, Greg, you mentioned that you were surprised to see me get excited about politics because I generally sort of have an arm's length reaction. And you're right. I, when it comes to politics, I tend to just glaze over because I, I, I don't get excited about it. But it was I wasn't reacting to the politics. I was reacting to text messages we received from a listener that were so hateful. And I wanted, I thought about reading them on the air and then I decided to ignore it. But as I found myself talking about it, it I... The blood started to boil immediately. That's what bothers me. It's the hatred that comes out anytime we talk about Donald Trump in a negative way or a way that could be per- perceived as negative. Yesterday, we referred to the the stuff that was recorded when he was on the bus with, uh, what was the entertainment? The Billy, uh, Billy Bush. Yeah, when he was talking, the, the quote-unquote locker room talk. 
So that was referred to, Greg referred to it as boasting about sexual assault. And a listener texted us and complained and said we were, well, I can't even repeat some of the stuff that was in this text. It was so hateful and obscene. And that makes me mad. So I made the comment, I would like to sit down and have a chat with Trump supporters and find out why they voted for Trump. What do they think of his administration so far? Because I see a lot of hatred. And I think I made the comment that it seems to me that Trump supporters are hateful. And if that's how it came out, my apologies. I didn't mean to generalize it like that. It just kind of was an off the top of my head comment. And I wasn't a fully formed thought yet. What I meant to say, what I was getting at was I am stunned on a daily basis by the hatred that comes from the camp of Trump supporters. Dean sent a text, a very quick response, and I thank you, Dean, for uh, for listening and for responding. Dean says, okay, Trump supporter or not, all Trump supporters are not hateful, hateful people. And Dean, I totally agree. He says, it is more about the hypocrisy of the left that bugs people. Forever the righteous. Which I w- would agree with. I think that the left often sort of claims to be they're, they like to get on their high horse about how tolerant they are, but if you're a conservative, well, pfft, no tolerance for your point of view. I'd agree with you on Often. that. Uh, but Dean says, but I would give Trump a C. Dean, thank you for that. That's the kind of civilized discourse that I was looking for, and I appreciate it. And Dean, I totally, you're, you're right, right to point out the uh, inconsistencies in what I was trying to communicate. So thank you. And that's where I was going with the golf thing, the contradiction, the hypocrisy. And uh, just because you and I like to talk about golf from time to time, (laughs) nothing more than that. Uh, Numbers are numbers, facts are facts, uh, depending on who you're speaking to, right? Uh, There there are alternate facts, apparently. And that's where this whole thing's gone off the rails, in my point of view, is that you can't even share a fact without being criticized uh, as being some sort of pro or anti something. Can't can't we just be delivering the news from time to time and just sharing things as they are? Not everything is politicized. Yeah. I mean, Donald Trump's going to do things I disagree with. He's going to do things I agree with. I tend to disagree more often than agree. Mm -hmm. But if we say this happened, it doesn't mean that we're pushing an agenda. It just sometimes is as simple as this happened and we're telling you about it. Well, I'm from the get-go. His quest for the White House and now his presidency, uh, as frightening as some of it is, a lot of it is very entertaining uh, without question. Speaking of entertaining, can I move on now? Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. I asked you about ball hockey because something came across my Facebook page. I play street hockey with my kids from time to time. They have a blast. One of my boys is super loud, if you can believe that. And I always have to tell, yeah, if you can believe that, doing the running play-by-play and everything. It's like, you know, not everybody wants to hear what's going on. But you know what? Whatever. God bless him because he has so much fun. All he wants to do is play uh, football or baseball or hockey on the front street. And we have a blast with it. Anyway, this from Newsner. N-E-W-S-N-E-R dot com comes across my Facebook feed yesterday. I don't know where it's from. All I know is there's an American flag hanging out front of one of the homes depicted in this video. And it says someone called the police because they were bothered by the children playing. The police's reaction, they joined the game. (laughs) So there are at least three police officers out on the front street 
playing ball hockey with these kids. And the only reason they're there is because one of the grumpy neighbors gave a call out to the police saying, uh, can you quiet these kids down? They're bothering me. They're out on the front street playing ball hockey. And, well, the police reaction was to join into the game. So I don't know where this is from. I've tried to figure it out. Bottom line is somewhere in the USA. And uh, if we could all just pick up a hockey stick in solidarity from time to time, our world would be a better place. We've got to quickly congratulate Josie Fink, who is our qualifier today for the Okanagan Bucket List Flyaway to Predator nice. Ridge Contest, round trip airfare for two. You get two nights accommodation at Sparkling Hill Resort and Spa. You also get two nights accommodation in a Peregrine Cottage at Predator Ridge, which also gets you a one a free round of golf on Predator Ridge. And you get a private sommelier-led tour, followed by a three-course wine-paired lunch in the vineyard for... A winner and guest at Mission Hill Family Estate, which Greg described yesterday as spectacular. And there's way more to this list. We don't have time to go through this gigantic laundry list of things that you get. Go to cjob.com for more information. Another chance to qualify today at 5.15. You may have heard about the story first on United Airlines yesterday. That passenger forcibly taken out of his seat. United stock has uh, fallen by 2.8%. Or about $600 million today. 257 on 680 CJOB. The news is next.